How's it, guys? Welcome back for another episode. This episode is brought to you by Magnesium Cafe. Check them out online and use the code PUNTED15 at checkout for 15% off of any purchase. So this week's episode is a special one. I'm joined today by Max from the Black Jersey. Max is all the way over in New Zealand, so it's a bit of a late night recording here on a Friday for me. Thanks for joining us, Max. Uh, thank you very much for uh, inviting me on, Nick. As you said, I'm Max from the Black Jersey. Kia to everyone that's watching. For those who are South Africans, uh, that's Hello in New Zealand. I've got a bit of a YouTube channel dedicated to analysis, and um, I make a few funny memes over on Instagram to um, keep the crowd entertained and make sure everyone knows that I'm still active as a YouTuber. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for um, inviting me on. Eh? Cheers, mate. There we go. And if you guys want to check out Max's page, we'll definitely be tagging him in the pod as well. So head on over there and check him and give him some support. So Max, it's been a busy, busy international season so far, hey? I think the best yeah, place right. to start at the beginning of the July internationals. Some crazy rugby went on there. I don't think you guys expected to lose the series to Ireland. Well, to be fair, I was kind of expecting a two to one win. Like I knew that we were going to get out four for certain because they had Andy Farrelly and Ian Foster, but I was like, no way, Ireland are going to be way too tired, and um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Geordie Barrett kick a penalty to win us the series. But it just went completely pear shaped, and I think that after that Angus Tarvau red card, there just really wasn't going to be a way back because Ian Foster or somebody in the coaching booth made the silly decision to, to, to take off Artie Sabia for um, Aiden Ross when they needed another prop. I must say, though, the other series were pretty entertaining as well, like seeing Emiliano Buffelli, who plays for Edinburgh, I think it is, score yeah. the winning try against Scotland. That was uh, pretty entertaining to see. <laughs> and the club itself were actually celebrating. I also really appreciated Jacques Nina, but finally sending out some b-team players like he obviously knew they had the series in the bag against wales so he was like you know what i don't care if we lose second let's give the likes of evan Roos a go let's give Jaden hendrix a go and now he's a regular starter because he's been proven from that so yeah i really enjoyed seeing a lot of that and probably the best thing though was seeing england versus australia the ruck speed of those england forwards were immense and i'm shaking in my boots ahead of our test against them eh? yeah it's it's like you say there was a lot of great rugby on there Yes, you're right. I actually expected a bit of trouble in the England Wallaby series. I thought that would actually be the only one the Northern, the Northern Hemisphere took in July. And you're right, the England forwards were really climbing into the, the Aussies there. And we also are playing them in, in November, probably with a B-side because we won't be allowed any of our foreign-based players. So it's definitely going to be a challenge in November. Wait, when was that announced? Are you serious? Yeah, so the test the Springboks play against England is outside of the official international window. It's a week later than everyone else. So unless the English clubs agree to release players, none of them will be available to the box. Um, it'll definitely be a bit of trouble with the French clubs, um, that's for sure. They've been pretty notorious for um, not releasing Pacific Island, Pacific Island players there, sorry, for tests for Samoa, Tonga and Fiji that come outside the windows. So... The, the English Premiership clubs can always be reliable for this kind of stuff with the French clubs. Jeepers, that's going to be a bit of a rough time, eh? Yeah, and it depends if the, the English want to keep the South Africans out of that one as well. <laughs> a little bit of yeah, true. In, in I house. I mean, uh, themselves are the opposition, so now that I think about it, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. But now looking at the, the series New Zealand versus Ireland in New Zealand, obviously a historic win for Ireland in that one. I thought Ireland would take the first game and you guys would take the, the next two. But I mean, what was it? What did Ireland get so right there? 
what they got right is um they didn't lose confidence perhaps so, like i was at the eden park one and i was at the um, sky stadium one in person i went to the first one with my wife's um, third one with my father and i saw like the irish players because they were actually sitting in front of me the guys who had picked at the stadium like i saw the likes of jordan lama looking really depressed at the result but next week they still came in with a positive attitude and because they um are always trying to improve always doing their research like the the, the analysts at the back of their changing sheds are obviously doing a really phenomenal job because you know every new week andy farrell has got a new counter to what's going on and Mike Cat being the best attack coach in the world just continued to design things to catch the All Blacks out like I've explained so many things about this on my YouTube channel and simply put Ireland with a better team. I think the Ireland team does look very very well coached and we spoke about Ruxby just now they're also phenomenal in that department you know they're looking to play the ball you know it actually feels a little bit to me like Ireland have stolen your guys identity and France have stolen ours at the moment sitting at one and two playing our game plans better than us it's a little bit frustrating to watch I'm, I'm not actually on board with the whole France replacing South Africa but I can 100% get behind the whole Ireland replacing the All Blacks thing because the thing is with the All Blacks is um we've just got Joe Schmidt in as the new attack coach so we haven't quite designed a new system yet we're just kind of rearranging everything to fit Joe Schmidt's ideas so that they can go along with whatever Fozzie has planned and um, Fozzie's plans are of course just picking whoever's loyal to him so yeah it's a bit of a worry with um, us compared to the Irish whereas France uh, I think on track to win the World Cup um, South Africa it's a bit of an odd thing going on there. Like, Nina just doesn't seem to have the faith in second-choice players very often. And so, you know, the, the whole England thing that you were telling me about, I think, is going to be really good for them. Because, you know, since that Lions series, he pretty much hasn't really changed his lineup. Like, Dwayne Vermeulen's way too old. Francois Stein's too old. It's a bit of an issue there, eh? It's just a stubborn insistence on picking players. You also mentioned Fozzie doing it for the guys he's loyal to and. You know, I think it's what allowed you guys to win back-to-back World Cups is because you transformed the team. You didn't just stick to what worked for you in 2011 when you went into 2015. And I think the box are falling into that trap where they, they're not looking to develop. They're looking, you know, these guys have proven they can do it. What's stopping them from doing it again? But yeah. like you've mentioned, there's a couple of players that really shouldn't be there. Some tough calls mm-hmm. do need to be made. I feel like Jesse Creel is another one that doesn't belong in the Springbok setup. You know, so yeah, well, I don't know what's happened to him. He, he was a world class player in the Alistair Cotzier era, and one of the few reasons people still came in to watch the Springboks. But he's obviously just got past his best. And you know, when backs reach their 30s, it's very uncommon for them to still be in good form. Like, uh, I, I actually left a comment, I think it was on um, Safers Abroad Rugby's Twitter post. Um, I said to Darren from Safers Abroad, Hey, um, you know, it's not a hard comparison to say that, like, Shark Nina is the South African version of Steve Hansen, eh? Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. But, I mean, you guys too, you guys have stuck with a couple of players that probably shouldn't be in the setup. You haven't, I know, Roger Tuavisha Sheik. How do I say his name correctly? Uh, Roger Tuavasa Sheik. Yes. He's a player that deserves an opportunity. He's also been sort of kept in the back, you know. So, it, it seems endemic to the Southern Hemisphere teams at the moment. 
Yeah, um, the whole RTS thing, I don't agree with him being in the squad whatsoever because the way he plays the game is incredibly outdated. Like, it's not 2015 anymore. And, you know, even in the New Zealand NPC, which is the division below Super Rugby, um, like, all the guys who aren't picked for the All Blacks who play Super Rugby, they play in the NPC, for those who aren't aware, in the second half of the year. Roger Tuivasa-Sheik, even in the NPC, like, his crash ball running's getting found out. Like, it just leads to easy turnovers and stuff. But he's in the squad. So I think that even though, in my personal opinion, it was silly to pick him, you know, if he's in the squad, let's give him a go. Let's see if he can develop a kicking game because he desperately needs to. So start him against Japan and bring him off the bench against some of the uh, big nations too, I think would be far better than just leaving him holding a tackle bag. Like, I, I completely agree with what you're saying there, Nick, because... You know, these guys are paid to play. They're not paid to lift weights. You know what I mean? Unless you're Alton Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's lifting completely different weights than the ones expected of him in the gym, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a topic for another day, but certainly some, some interesting times. <laughs> and then, you know, Argentina versus Scotland. What did you think of that series? I was quite proud to see the Argentinians taking that one. And I thought it was an incredible set of games to watch as well. Um, I think that simply put, Scotland have major concerns ahead of the World Cup because they're in the pool of death with South Africa and Ireland. And I've been saying for a very long time that they're running the risk of getting kicked out of the pool stage for the second World Cup in a row. I think Scotland could probably come along and beat the All Blacks for all I care. A guy called Murray Blissful Rugby HQ, he's um, one of the main guys from the Rugby Connection podcast. He says that he reckons Scotland can beat us because he's Scottish himself. But I actually am on Murray's side. Scotland are a very talented team with a very talented coach, but there's obviously something going on behind the scenes that kind of creates a bit of a lack of cohesion. Um, maybe that it's a psychological thing about not traveling well that a lot of the commentators often say. But as I said, like they, they got the talent, they got the coach, but there's something that's not clicking. And, you know, if a Michael Checker coached Argentina can run around you like that when they just can't do any running in the rugby championship whatsoever unless it's that one game against Australia you're in a bit of trouble because Argentina I don't think have quite yet developed an exact approach to attacking the game like they've mostly just been crashing it up in the forwards and dominating with their kicking game so I think that Scotland um, really really need to just just start showing faith in that younger generation like they, they got so many guys who are like late 20s and low caps yeah and, and they need to learn the whole idea of making a succession plan whereas argentina i think have finally figured it out because michael check is only going to be there till the world cup and then the former puma oh his name's not coming to my head right now um felipe contapome that's the name he's going to be taken over as the head coach after the world cup and he's an assistant now so argentina for the first time in their history have figured out a succession plan i think it's showing even though checker is not my cup of tea for a coach and so i think argentina are kind of trending in the right direction and i think maybe they can beat japan at the world cup yeah they started making some good decisions and it's been good to see them sort of reviving back to what we saw from them in 2007 you know it's been it's been great to see them add to the championship this year I think they played quite well 
But it was also interesting for me to see that they left behind Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg for that tour to, to Argentina. You know, a bit of a fallout there, it seems, between the coach and, and two very senior Scottish players. Do you think they'll be back in the November series? Simply put, I think Finn Russell isn't up to test rugby, mate. Finn Russell is, um, I think, as controversial as this is to say, he's too selfish with the ball and he makes far too many decisions that don't fall into line with the game plan. Like, sure, if you've got Ian Foster as the All Blacks coach, you're a forward and you're a few numbers short of the ruck. Disobey him because it's just logical that you don't want to give the opposition front foot ball. But, you know, Russell's such a 50-50 player. Everyone was saying, oh, he's so incredible after that third Lions series test when he came off the bench and played a majority of the match. But, Bigger got injured, but for a very long time, I've thought that Russell is not a good enough player to be at test level because he, he doesn't communicate with his teammates when his, his team doesn't have possession, he just sits back in the pockets. But yeah, um, on Finn Russell, I think that it's good that he wasn't there. Adam Hastings needs to be their first choice 10. The, the problem is, though, like it's too close to a World Cup, so that's there on the other hand. So I think you do have to have Russell on the bench for Hastings. Yeah, um, to add a bit of experience. Not good yeah, exactly. Because, you know, experience doesn't grow on trees, so um, you probably have to keep him there off the bench. Stuart Hogg was in my um, Six Nations team of the tournaments. I think he's probably still good enough there to offer himself to the end of the World Cup. Yeah, um, I hope I they can iron out those issues. I think the, the segment I'm most eager to chat about a bit is the rugby championship. I, I definitely think this was one of the most competitive years of the tournament. Uh, what did you make of it? What did you think of the tournament? The rugby championship was pretty much like, honestly, Nick, with two rounds to go, it was anyone's game, wasn't it, mate? It really, really was. Everyone had beaten each other once and there was one round. It, it, was, it was unbelievable, actually. Exactly. Sorry, I was just going to say there that I really ate my words about Argentina. I said they were going to struggle to win the game and South Africa were going to be the clear favourites, but it just didn't quite go that way. Sorry, carry on. Carry on. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely true. I didn't expect much from Argentina with the change of coaching. You know, they did drop a game to Scotland. So I thought, you know, they'll they'll struggle through and then they got one over on Australia in Argentina. And then I think they shocked everybody when they got one over you guys in New Zealand, their first ever win there. So big shout out to Los Pumas. They, they, they managed to pull something that very few of us expected off. Mm, it was really special as well because Pablo Matera was playing at um, Orange Theory Stadium where he played at club level for the Crusaders. Yeah. And Scott Robertson is the head coach there. So it was quite a prescient for Ian Foster. I'm right over there, there. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did not expect it. I did not see it coming. I said the All Blacks would probably win by like 16 points or something. And we, we just couldn't generate anything because their, their tackling was far too accurate for us to match, simply put. I just have to say, and the listeners that joined me on Super Brew will know, I picked that Argentina win eh, on Super Brew. I was so chuffed with that. I just threw a blinder in there hoping for some additional points. You know, every once in a while you have to make that that out there call to try to get ahead, and it worked. Yeah, I think I've been guilty of uh, making a few bets like that and stuff like that. But um, honestly, you must have just had a sixth sense about it because they did put a massive score over the Wallabies the previous week did you kind of just like see it and be like oh maybe like I thought this would be the chance I also got a lot of shit though because I called the Wallabies to beat us so it was a very good <laughs> week for me on Super Brew 
but a, a very crap week in terms of my team losing to the Aussies. Yeah, no, um, that wasn't the Springboks' best effort at all, was it? They, no. they barely fired a shot in that match, and then it was pretty much inverted the following week where Australia just couldn't fire a shot because they were giving away so many penalties. Yeah, it felt like that first test we played against Wales with Alton at 10. We just couldn't get anything right in that first test against the, the Aussies, and they ran rampant with us. Um, Nick White kept us all entertained a little bit as well. What did you think of his, <laughs> his antics there? Oh, it was a bit of a laugh to see all the reactions about Nick White. They were making like memes with him, like having his face on top of Leo DiCaprio <laughs> with like his Oscar award, things like that. <laughs> I found that stuff pretty entertaining seeing all the banter on social media. Um, and I think a lot of the South African fans are still mad at Nick White for him <laughs> pretending to be injured because um, I was like, goodness me, there's not really a standout halfback for my team at the tournament for the rugby championship. <laughs> um, Nick White did the best job communicating. I'm just going to have to pick him, and uh, he'll be the only Australian in there. Good yeah. for good for diversity <laughs> and things. But um, I think a few of my patrons and my followers still haven't let me go over that because they're like, "Why can you pick Nick White? No, no." Yeah, that was that was a really funny situation watching that happen. I hope someone's gone to check that he's okay and that the moustache is still yeah, intact. Yeah, um, he may need a bit of um, time in the um, emergency department after that brutal assault, eh? <laughs> Yo, absolutely crazy. And then how was that situation between Ala Alatoa and Irvin? If Irvin looked at me like that, hey, he could have my house, my car, whatever he wanted. Um, I'm, I'm not a small guy by any means. Um, I'm taller than most of the rugby players at, at, at like um, club level that I've met and stuff. Like um, put me next to Sione Tui Pelotu and Offutu and Ngafasi and there's not really much of a difference between us, for example. But even Etzebeth is just next level. Like I've heard all of his gym records and stuff like that. I've long considered him the world's best enforcer and I think there was a really nice reminder of actually the fact that we need to appreciate how much of a gigantic man he is, how hard he's worked to make himself um, a guy with good test level shape. And um, <laughs> seeing the look in his face in that situation, I was like, what? I'm, I'm very surprised he isn't throwing punches because he does not look happy. Like, Ala Alatoa must have uh, made an insult against Edzabeth that was um pretty... um. Oh, what's the expression? Goodness me, it, it must have like really hit him on the wrong yeah. nerve or something. Like, what he got him properly. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we've all we've all had that conversation on the pitch where like we're just like having a go at someone else for their teammate, and they're like, oh, what? And they fire something back at you that really sets you off. I think it yeah. was one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. That was a hell of an interesting situation. I was at both the All Black Springbok games this year. I was quite lucky to attend those. You know, the one in Mbombela, sitting in the stands from, from very early on in the fixture, we saw that we had gotten on top of your guys forwards. And, you know, I think it set us up for a, for a nice victory there in Mbombela. But then we went over to Ellis Park and it was the complete reverse. You guys shut our forwards down. And, you know, when a team does that to the Springboks, oh, we don't have a plan B. And you guys showed us up there. You guys got the win, and ultimately, that's where we lost the rugby championship was at Ellis Park. Simply put, I've been calling to X the props for a long time. It pains me to say this because George Bauer is an absolute gentleman off the pitch. I've met him twice. He's so, so nice. He, he's a very smiley man 
one of the kindest bloody rugby players I've ever met, but he's completely out of his depth at test level. And I w- I'd actually go as far as saying he's one of the worst All Blacks of all time. So I feel sorry for Bauer that Ian Foster continues to pick him for a job he isn't up to. And and I actually really feel for Bauer because um he had a terrible series against Ireland. Angus Tarvau clearly wasn't in the right headspace after that red card either. I feel quite sorry for Tarvau. He's in his 30s. He may have just played his last test and that would have been a really horrible way for him to go out if it is indeed his last test because he got absolutely dominated against South Africa. His, his ruck speed just wasn't there. Um, we, we would have been far better if Tonga Fassi didn't get injured. Otara Lomax isn't a guy I'd pick for the All Blacks because his scrummaging still needs to improve, but Lomax's mobility made a massive difference compared to Tarvau, who seems to start to be slowing down at last. Ethan DeGroote, I was livid he wasn't picked for the Ireland series. I was grumpy. And I'm just like, finally, it's the right thing's been done and I've been proven right. I think that this change with the props can still keep going. Where's the call-up for Tomaiti Williams and uh, Ollie Norris, who's been a guest on my YouTube channel? Those two desperately need to get the call up. Those two are insanely good. Ian Foster just doesn't seem to have the faith with the next generation of props. And it was only a huge, huge loss. Like, what was the margin against? 16 points, eh? Was yeah, it, it was a points? good 16 points, yeah. Yeah. Only a massive loss like that was what forced him to make the decision. And um, even though he didn't make a lot of tests at Ellis Park, the, the the changes he did make were massive. Like They were crucial, crucial changes. Often probably notorious to how pro Richie Mwonga I am. And over there, I was like, see, this is what I've been saying. I'm justified. Yeah. No, I think just on, on De Groot, two or three episodes ago, I had an absolute rave about him. I think he's going to be one of the great props of the next generation of players. He is Absolutely. an absolute machine. And I was very, very glad to see him get that, that opportunity as well. But you mentioned yeah. there uh, Richie Moonga. So Ronnie and I have had quite a few debates on the pod in the past about who's the best player. I'm not going to tell you which oh, one of is. us each support, but who <laughs> who would you be picking as the All Blacks 10? Moonga, um, Bowden's a fullback and he played his best rugby from 2019 to 2020 because um, with all that space, he's got all the time in the world to unleash his running game on his opposition and just tear them to pieces. Sorry, Max, um, that's the wrong cool. answer. Hey, I've done all the analytics. <laughs> you can go back and watch my videos. Well, I've done heaps of analytics on it. You can trust me on this one. Wong is the best man for the job. No, I'm just feeling hard me. done by because you've taken Ronnie's side. I was a, a big Bowden Barrett fan. <laughs> I, I've got no problem with the grand you disagree. It's all good. But I think, you know, we could do with you sending us one of your fly-offs. We'll happily take them. We're struggling a little bit in that department at the moment. I might get a call well, up I with mean, the way Bryn things Gatlin are going. Um, Bryn Gatland, I'll just bring his name up for you since you asked me that question. He was hard <laughs> done by, so why not? You can have him. <laughs> there we go. We'll see. We, we need it at this rate, eh? <laughs> no, you're, you're welcome. I'm happy trading him, mate. You're all good. <laughs> can we not have Bowden, please? Or even we'll take DMAC or someone, anyone. Well, I mean, we would give you Bodie Barrett, but we got to have an experienced player off the bench. So I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's fine. We'll settle. We'll take Razor off your guys' hands. That sounds like a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> fine, then. <laughs> take the coach. All right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
So <laughs> a, another another thing, Rania, and I've spoken about quite a bit on this podcast yeah. is your guys' yeah. center pairings. You know, in the past, if you guys have had center pairing that it's been envied by everyone. I mean, you look at the mm-hmm. Conrad Smith, Ma Nanu, at the same time we were playing Jean de Villiers, Jacques Ferry. Then you guys had the likes of Sonny Bill Williams. You know, you've had some real talented centers. But at the moment, you seem, at least from our side, we seem to to view it as you guys are struggling a little bit there. Would you bring back someone like Ngani Lamape? No way. No way. Getting rid of him was the best decision that the New Zealand Rugby Union's made in the last 10 years. Um, Lamape, he just wasn't up to test level. And um, the commentary that I said to you, Nick, about Rod de Tuivasa, Sheik and the crash ball running applies to Lamape as well. Um, like, I'm not having a jab at the players or anything. It's just you've got to move on from past tactics, as you and I were saying about Nienaba and Foster. And, you know, Quintu Paya um, is quite similar to Laomapi in terms of how he crashes the ball up. But Tupaya is a young guy who's real promising and he's he's getting very good at knowing when and when not to pass. And he's also, I've been to a few Chiefs matches for the warm-ups and the captain's runs. I've seen him working on his kicking game. And obviously he just quite, he just hasn't quite got the confidence to use it in a game yet. But give him another few years after he comes back from the ACL. And um, I think Quintu Pai is going to develop very, very finely. So I don't actually think Lamapi would have got picks because they would have gone for Tupaya, I believe. Okay. I don't actually think they're struggling at centre at all. I think it's just an issue of um, the centres not really getting enough decent front football from the props to actually show their genuine ability. Like um, propers definitely and 10 those are the the two major talking points i've had on my channel I've, I've sounded like a broken record talking about those issues on my channel and for very good reasons because those are the main issues and i think that you know if we can sort those out everything else is going to flow on i wouldn't change any of the backs that foster started against australia in round five for heavily and Tupai got injured um i think i've got like pretty much 100% faith in that centre combo. We just need Anton Leonard-Brown to come back from injury and be that reliable guy off the bench, you know. Um, I think we've really missed him. Yeah, he's also a stellar player. And then, I mean, you guys played in the last test, Geordie Barrett together with Rico. What did you make of that centre pairing? Is that something you should look at going forward? So Geordie started to play 12 at the Hurricanes, and that was the position he played at age grade level. So I think that there was quite an interesting insight as to how his career is going to go after 2023. Like, Geordie being at 12 and stuff is something that's not going to happen because of the fullback depth chart and how he's just taken up such a massive portion of his minutes. And plus, he kind of need the continuity between Havili and Yuani just so you can create that, like, backline cohesion and stuff. But yeah, Geordie at 12 post-2023... Like, I'm totally open to that. That's fine. Um, that, that just worries me about Tupaya, though, on the other hand. So I'm like, oh, do I side with it or do I not? But I'd be totally okay with him and Rico forming the center combination after the World Cup. But for now, it's not the go because I think he's still the best fullback in New Zealand by a country mile. Like, sure, we do gain a bit more strength in midfield when it comes to the tight channels, but we also lose um, that reliable defense unless it's his brother Bowden who's slotting in at 15 instead. So for me, it's a very um, it's a very dodgy call to make to move Jordy to 12 now. So I would keep him at fullback and um, I'd back Rico and I'd back um, David Habili. And will we ever see Will Jordan wearing the 15 jersey? That's something I think a lot of people are oh. eager for. Yeah, a lot of people are getting quite angry because he does so well there for the Crusaders. But I think that um, 
I'm sounding like an old fart here. Goodness me. <laughs> like I'd have been, I'd have been going crazy angry at myself for saying this maybe four years ago or so. But yeah, Will Jordan, I think is just proof that test levels are different beast to super rugby. Um, Lestifying Anuku on debut probably found that it as well. But yeah, um, Jordan's tackle accuracy on the wing's been pretty dodgy this year for the All Blacks. His try scoring rates, of course, gone down as well because we've had tougher opposition. And Jordan, um, I think if if you know we can't trust him to defend on the wing, you know it's just not right to trust him with all that space at fullback when he's got even more grass to defend. That's um, true. His kicking game can improve as can his work under the high ball, but you know Jordy Barrett's got the counter attacking, he's got the long range boots, um, he's got the defensive ability like you saw when he made that try saver on Pete Samu, for example. There's just nobody else that I would trust to be in that position. And so Geordie being a fullback hasn't actually got anything to do with him being a bad 12. It's just got everything to do with him being a world-class fullback. And sorry to Will Jordan, but that's just how I see it and Foster see it. And I've got no idea, but for whatever reason, me and Foster can actually agree on something, which is, I guess, nice. (laughs) It's always a surprise when that happens. Hey, I find the same thing here with us and and the Springbok management at times. Yeah, absolutely. The the Springbok management do do quite a few funny things, eh? That's for sure. And it's only going to get more entertaining. Rusty's ban actually ends today. So that's just going to add to the intrigue for the Northern. Yeah, no, well, it's at the end of today it ends. Well, for you guys, it would have been yesterday. You're right. Oh, okay, no, I see. Just there a time, difference, time difference, yeah. <laughs> okay, no, no worries, mate. So, Max, we, we posted a couple of things on social media this week wanting to get a feel for what the guys wanted to hear chatted about on this. And I think for me, at least, the toughest one you seem to have an answer already. Who was your player of the rugby championship? That, that really was, was hard to pick. Because like, Tolkiaho and Marks, they all played in every game, whereas Adi Sabia, the best player in the world, he missed one. So I was like, jeepers, the, the top two players of the competition play in the same position. One of them's going to have to miss out of my team of the tournament. And I was like, okay, Mark's got five turnovers in his 50th test. He finished the competition with nine overall. And we got two tries as well. He had a high tackle accuracy ratio, a high line-out winning ratio. So I was like, goodness me, I'm just going to have to miss out on Taukiaho. And hey there's still a chance for him to keep improving and stuff. And I think my world 15, I might have to drop Julian Marchand and, and I might just have to have Taupiaho backing Marks up off the bench. Yeah, I thought it was really great to see Malcolm Marks getting his opportunity finally. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous that he was put to start behind Joseph Dweber. That was a, a decision that caused a lot of trouble for us at Ellis Park against you guys, giving away the lineouts and subbing a player in the 28th minute is just simply not on. So then luckily the world got to see Malcolm Marks wearing the number two jersey. And I thought he did have a very, very good season. But as you mentioned, Adi Sevier is another one. He's a top-notch player. Classy, classy, classy. I'm going to think a little bit outside the box here. What about Thomas Lavanini? He only got one yellow card. You know, I've, I've, I've been doing, I've watched every All Blacks test of the Foster era with the exception of the Ember Bella test, because I had a filming shoot next day and I knew we were going to lose. Yeah. So I didn't watch that one. But um, apart from that one, I've watched every test of the Foster era so I can count the depth chart, see who's played what amount of minutes and what jersey. And, you know, I would hate to be calculating the depth chart for lock five for Argentina 
because the amount of times he gets sent off, I'll be have to I'll be having to invalidate so many minutes on my spreadsheet. <laughs> so goodness me. Yes, he's a player that always makes me laugh. And quite a lot of our guys on our on our game day quizzes say that Argentina can win this one if Lavanini doesn't get a card. And funny enough, he didn't get a card when they beat you guys. So that's always a bit of a laugh for me. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, Lavanini, um, jeepers. I thought he'd finally sorted his discipline out last year, but turned out to get a third red card of his career against Ireland. I've got no idea how he's still playing at test level. Eh? It's, and, and people still think Bucky Spurter is the biggest bully of the game. <laughs> Oh, I think Darcy Swain's well on track to be worse than both of them combined, though, after what he's been pulling. Yeah, that's also true. Well, what did you make of that Darcy Swain incident, though? So, I mean, he's now been banned until the 6th of November, meaning he's going to return in time for the second and third test the Wallabies are playing in, in the Northern Tour, whereas Quinn is out likely till June 2023, I believe. Yeah, um, I pretty much was too distracted by being grumpy to even watch, like, focus on the match and stuff. Like, um, I was only really watching, like, when the ball was in play. Like, I was livid at what Darcy Swain did. Like, even without the whole knee incident, it, should, it still should have been a red card because he comes into the ruck. Tupai's um, been put into clear Caleb Clark's. But yeah, Caleb Clark is a left winger and Quinn Supaya being a bigger centre than most, he's been used as the um, substitution for a forward to clear the guy That They clearly had a tactic there that they were going to try and use the forwards to um, be freed up and stuff to carry, um, sacrificing Tupai to do that. Tupai comes in to clear the ruck, but Darcy Swain gets his hands in there, so it's already a lost cause, but... <laughs> Swain, a repeat offender, he just comes along, shoulder charge to the back of Tupai's neck and Tupai's head, so that's a red card. And for some reason, like I, I would be willing to accept that Swain was accidental just doing there, like he was just trying to clear the ruck, but then just a few seconds later, probably like 10 seconds, he gets back up, he enters the breakdown from offside, and he, and he chop tackles Tupai and injures his knee. So it's yeah. like, mate, it's a lost cause, why bother? It's obviously deliberate if he's still doing it when it's a lost cause. Yeah, and I mean, he's clearly not learned any lesson. Yeah, um, on the note of Swain, like, I actually made an entire video talking about my thoughts on it because I didn't want to damage my review of the match by getting grumpy about that situation. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to sit my phone down, make a separate video on the Swain situation. And um, my conclusion was basically that thugs like that are the reason that parents are taking their kids out of rugby. 100%. It definitely puts a spoiler on the game. And I mean, we've seen a massive drive to increase safety in rugby. And then, you know, they hyper-focus on certain situations and let others go by. But I mean, a, a nine-month injury like this is a massive, massive thing for a player. And especially in the lead-up to a World Cup. And then you see another player getting, what, six weeks sanctioned. He's free to play for the Wallabies again from the second game in November. It just, it, it seems like World Rugby's missing the point a little bit. And you know, another officiating decision I'm interested to hear your view on is that of uh, Matthew Reynolds' time-wasting call. I think I'm heavily in favor of the call. I think it was the right decision. Foley yeah. had been wasting time. The Aussie forwards too, they were huddled. They weren't prepared for Foley to kick and ultimately the right call. According to the laws, you've got 60 seconds to take your shot at goal, but when it's just a penalty kick, you're kicking for touch or something like that, it's pretty, it's pretty much expected immediately, you know what I mean? Like, um, the whole situation, there was actually a streaker that came onto the pitch while time was off, 
So, like, the forwards and the Aussies, like, they basically all had a decent amount of time to catch their breath and stuff. Like, I can't remember how long the streak was on the pitch for. I only knew about the streak because I saw someone send it to me. But, yeah, um, it was like, jeepers, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have the facts here, but it was like 78 minutes and 24 seconds when Raynell blew the whistle for the um, winning turnover that they thought had won them the game. And it was 40 seconds later after a timeout that he penalised Foley. So there's nothing controversial about the whole time-wasting thing. Like, because there was, like, the streak of things like that, there was a stoppage. By all means, Foley could have been, like, ready to kick straight away after time was on. Yeah, but there was no reason to drag it out. Being like, his, his teammates are like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And he probably wastes, like, another five seconds. So the ref's like, no, you had your opportunity. You don't have it anymore. Yeah, This is clearly time-wasting because I've told you all about it in the first half. Even though the Springboks would have won the rugby championship had that call not been made. <laughs> I do agree it was the right call. There was plenty of opportunities there and it, it really was time-wasting. There's nothing they can complain about there. I did have a, a laugh at Andrew Kellaway in the follow-up fixture, constantly checking with the ref how much time was left. A little bit of banter there, nothing wrong with that. We've spoken a bit of the, the level of competition this year, but it really has been a good rugby championship. And, you know, there's been worrying relations between the Sanzar teams, you know, the, the leaving of Super Rugby and whatever. And this is a competition I really would like to see kept together. I think that's a mutual feeling. I know from our side, we would. I don't know if you guys feel the same over there. Um, in most situations, I would say that I will not kneel for anyone aside from God. But I'm tempted to actually get down and beg for South Africa to stay because I, I want to play Australia as less as possible. Australian Super Rugby teams actually had decent discipline this year. And Super Rugby was far tighter when we played Aussie teams over here in New Zealand. Then the Wallabies turn up. I actually remember how much we actually disliked them. Like they were by far the most penalised team in the competition. And all of the teams, Argentina, South Africa, the All Blacks, they were all so more fired up against them than they were against anybody else. Like the All Blacks and South Africans, they always like go to share a, a beer in the Springboks, like changing rooms. Los Pumas are always happy to do a jersey swap with the All Blacks. Um, they, they seem to have a friendly enough relationship with the Springboks, Los Pumas. But everyone seems to hate the Wallabies because they're such a dirty anime. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation with them. Like you say, it's yeah. it's part of the game. Have a beer, share the jerseys. There shouldn't be that sort of that animosity. But it yeah, really would absolutely animosity towards the Wallabies from all the rugby championship sides, eh? And you know, it really would be a shame to see the rugby championship fall away. I truly, truly hope it's something that doesn't happen. I do not want to be playing in the Six Nations slash Seven Nations. It just it it's a product that doesn't look good for me. Yeah, we've got some success going on in the URC and playing domestically up there, but international rugby has to stay within the Southern Hemisphere. I think that um the URC and Super Rugby prior to 2020 were just jokes. They're just jokes of a competition because they require so much travel and so much time away from the players' families. Like it's all well and good, like still being in the same time zone to see what your sons and your daughters are up to but Sam Whitelock was actually going to call it quits after the 2019 World Cup because he was so sick of not getting to see his baby's faces and stuff yeah and like a lot of a lot of these players are fathers with kids and stuff like I'm not but I can really see that they obviously really love their families and that's what they're, they're playing for a lot of these all blacks 
And so when there's so much of um, that travel, it's just not the best thing for player welfare. And plus, as, as a business, like all these corporations, like the NZRU, um, Sansa, Saru, they're spending all these um, business expenses on like the hotels, the travel fees. And so actually it's harming their profits by having like these huge big amalgamation comp- competitions like the URC and Super Rugby. Like Super Rugby Pacific... Sure, I can get behind that with like Moana Pacifica, the Fiji and Drua being there with the Aussies and the Kiwis. Like those travel expenses um, are going to be so much cheaper now that South Africa's out of here. But if Australia wants to leave and we're stuck playing with Tonga and stuff, just cull Super Rugby all together and let's just make the NPC a year-round competition like the English Premiership. On the note of South Africa playing in the Six Nations, the Rugby Championship and stuff, I also think the URC is bad because guys picked for the Springboks now have to play year-round, essentially. And that's terrible for player welfare, you know? No, that's definitely something true. And that's actually something we've been struggling with with the podcast as well as when do we take a season break? Because we've covered the URC, we went straight into the internationals and the URC. I mean, I watched this evening the Bulls and the Lions play against Connacht and Cardiff. So... Mm. It's it's a full year round. I mean, Kanan Moody, Kirtley Orange, uh, all the Springboks played for the Bulls tonight. Same as tomorrow, Damien Willemser, Herschel, all of them are playing for the Stormers. So it's only the Sharks not using their box because the Sharks are currently overseas. But I mean, other than that, the players are international, domestic, international, domestic. And it is quite a struggle. And you saw that with someone like Francois Lowe. He was the um he was the experiments in that and stuff like that. Like Francois Lowe, by the end of his career, his body was just broken. I'm sure like he was 6'3 and 114 kgs back when he played, but from 2011 to 2022, the guy was with Bath and also a Springbok. So he didn't get a break. He was playing year round. Yeah. His body was broken and i i wouldn't be surprised to see the guy getting arthritis before he's 50 so like come on man play a welfare eh yeah like, and after i mean as the guinea pig i wouldn't wish that on anybody else anybody. but i mean it gets even worse now because last year we at least had december and a bit of january off this year we don't have that luxury because the when the urc takes a break in december we're playing in the heineken cup there really is going to be zero break for any of these players and it's going to come down to the club's resting them, and we don't have the same system you guys do there. The clubs are not going to take the knock for, for the international side. Yeah, like um, I, I try not to speak politics under the black jersey because it divides a lot of people. And I think that, you know, there's a third side playing both the left and the right. But like you've got to do something about this corporatism thing. It, it doesn't care for player welfare. Like that's why I think the Heineken Cup needs to go. Because these players need rest. These travel expenses are crazy. All the time away from family. Like, at least South Africa's in a similar time zone. But the travel is crazy. Like, at at least people can watch it. But the travel expenses, is it really worth just the extra view? You know? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think they're quite eager to tap into the market here. I mean, the URC broke all viewership figures last year. And it'll be interesting to see how the Heineken Cup fares. But I agree from a player welfare point, it's just completely missed the mark. And again, it's an example of World Rugby, you know, saying one thing, acting in a different way, just because it's not on field in your face when the the TMO looks at it. This is another thing affecting players' careers, you know, and the length thereof. Yeah, like we've seen Caleb Trask, who's 23 years old, the same age as my wife, 
he's buggering off to Japan to play for the Honda Heat, even though he just debuted for the Chiefs back in 2020. Like, he's a young guy. He, he's not even at the peak of his career yet, and he's already going away to Japan where he can actually get the luxury of a decent off-season. We, we need to head in the direction of Japan and a year-round NPC and English Premiership. Like, the English Premiership has got it absolutely right. Like, a tight physical league where anyone can beat everyone with promotion, relegation, that allows you to have an off-season. It, it can probably be extended a little bit, but ignore the Heineken Cup that those players are in, and they've got it completely right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the kind of direction World Rugby needs to go in. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. It needs a whole rethink the system, you know, where we're using what worked for us 10, 15 years ago, and that's not to say that it's the best way or the best thing for us at the moment. So maybe when Augustine Pichot or someone gets the top job there at World Rugby, we might see some of these changes in, who knows? I think Bill Beaumont's awesome because of the way it's cracked down on HIAs because back when he was a player, it ended his own career. So it's been really awesome to see kind of things come full circle. But now that he's done that, he's probably outlived his usage, eh? Yeah, I think it's it's time that he goes. Mostly just because Augustine Pichot says he's going to make sure there's a new rugby game made. So I'm 100% keen for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring, bring on FIFA with um, rugby, eh? Bring it on. There we go. So, you know, then another thing I just wanted to chat about is, you know, the coaches. You guys don't seem to be too happy with your head coach. You know, the I'm Wallabies not. criticizing Dave Rennie a bit. Los Pumas seem happy with Cheka, and then you look at Jacques Nino, but also getting quite a bit of heat from the South African public. So, you know, are we all sitting with the wrong head coaches, or what's going on here with the Southern Hemisphere? Jacques Nienaba has the right ideas, but he's not executing them properly because he's not getting the players he needs to um, have on board to execute things. Like, Nienaba truly is the South African version of Steve Hansen because he's intelligent enough, but he's too stuck in his ways. You know what I mean? Like, Shag, he got the selections for the 2019 World Cup semi-final against England spot on. But the problem was that he should have foreseen that a few years back, considering the IQ he had. Like, um, he's probably got, like, a probably an average IQ. Shag's not stupid, but he should have had the foresight to see that that kind of stuff was going to need to happen. Like, you know, Ben Smith getting dropped from Mawonga at 10 with Bodie moving to fullback. You know, um, England still would have won even if he had prepped, but, you know, just basic stuff like that. Nienaba seems to be demonstrating the same kind of thought patterns, if you will. Um, I'm trying to put it into words so that your, um, your listeners can understand what I'm talking about, but I think maybe that's the best way I can describe it. Um, the Wallabies, they were going to have a massive losing ratio even with another head coach. Um, it was destined to happen. Dave Rennie shouldn't have taken on the job because he should have knew that was going to happen because they just don't have the talent pool. Michael Checker, it's just obviously his thing to rebuild teams and everyone knows what I think about Ian Foster. I don't think I have to touch much more on it. Like I've said everything that needs to be said about him in my YouTube channel and stuff. Like I don't think he's the man for the job because he hadn't proven himself as a head coach in the past. And he hadn't won a trophy before he was an all-black coach. So I think that's all I really need to say about Fozzie, you know? I think the whole world wants to see Razor coaching you guys. I, I for one, am very, very keen for that. I Absolutely. was quite shocked that Foz, Foz got the job. It was a bit of a surprise from our end. Razor, huge talent, done excellent with the Crusaders. 
And, you know, he wants to win the World Cup with two teams. So he is hoping one of those is South Africa. No, thanks. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Saru would, would allow it, though. Like, going back to your joke about taking Razor, like, Saru seems to have a lot of um, political motives and stuff. So I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I can kind of see where the panel with Graham Henry and stuff were coming from. Like, he'd only been a super rugby coach for three years. Sure, he'd won it every season but they kind of just needed that bit more evidence but now that they've got it why did they not remove foster at the end of 2021 like they they extended his contract way too early you know what i mean see we we threw the game at ellis park to make sure you guys had a, a coach going to the world cup we did ourselves a it's it's investing for down the line much appreciated <laughs> You know, we're, we're here to help you guys out, hey? Long time friends then. <laughs> but Thank yeah, you it's, to my it's, South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ian, Ian Foster is pretty much the New Zealand version of Alistair Kotzia. Yeah. Only difference is Alistair Kotzia was the seconds to best man for the job after, um, Ro, um not Rowan Ackerman, Johan Ackerman. Yeah. But he obviously got picked over Ackerman because of Saru's motives off the field but yeah like um at least Kotzia had pioneered new ways of playing the game like they they were past their due date or whatever it's called by the time he was springbok coach but at least he was actually able to pioneer tactics and at least he was actually able to win trophies as a head coach before he took on the springboks yeah he'd, he like, was a bit of a proven quantity so then, you know, we've spoken a lot about the Southern Hemisphere season. We all played different yeah. opponents in, in July. But now we take a look at the, the Northern Hemisphere tour. There's a hell of a fixture list coming up here. Yeah? I've got it in front of me. We'll take a look at some of the tests on the first weekend. So it's starting on the 5th of November. Well, there are, I think you guys play the Barbarians prior to that. So normally we send the Māori All Blacks off on tour, but now we're going to send off an All Blacks 15, which is kind of like our version of Australia A. I see and Leon so McDonald's coaching. On the line. Yeah, Leon McDonald's going to be the head coach with Clayton McMillan as the assistant. Um, I thought Clayton McMillan, McMillan sorry, was going to be the head coach, but obviously he's just there as assistant. Um, it seems to be kind of like a feeder team to test the um, future prospects, such as the Aiden Morgan the Lincoln Clutchies and uh, maybe get some of the older guys like Angus Tarvel back into form. Yeah, we're also actually sending an SAA side over there to play against Munster and Bristol. So it's going to be interesting yeah, to see that we, we're taking some midweek games on. But I mean, the first weekend, 5th of November, day's going to start with Scotland versus Fiji, Italy playing Samoa. Then you guys will be facing Wales. You know, we played them in July. You guys haven't played them for a little while. What are you expecting out of that one? Wales are going to get smashed, simply put. Um, They've got no chance. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Fiji beat either Australia or Wales at the World Cup. Like, Wayne Pivak, they really got it wrong with a new head coach. And Wales, even though it is their national sport, there still is a fair bit of football over there. So they don't quite have the talent pool and they are a smaller country than New Zealand. Like, I think the population is only 4 million or something. So all the success that's been happening for Wales in the last decade or so, it's only because of Warren Gatlin. Like yeah. um, Dan Bigger is not the man for the job at captain. George North is getting pretty old. Jonathan Davies is getting pretty old. Dan Sorry. Bigger does not speak to the ref pretty nicely. Um, Alan Wynne-Jones definitely is playing past his best <laughs> now. Um, yeah, that's... The reserve 
hookers are the, are they the right guys for the job? Wales have a lot of problems, eh? Wales definitely have a lot of problems, and I mean, just watching them in the URC, they're really struggling against us. They lost to the Lions tonight, Cardiff to the Lions in Wales, and you know, Didn't Lions. The Lions are... Last season? Yeah, I think they finished second last or something like that. So I would watch the UFC because of the time difference and my like disagreements with player welfare and stuff, but I at least take notice of like who's winning and stuff. Uh, these are load shedding. <laughs> no, I didn't think the load shedding was literal. Sorry guys, load shedding interrupted us a little bit over there and I just had to sort out stuff with the UPS. Our South African listeners will definitely understand that. But then, yeah, as we were saying, Wales definitely going to struggle. They've been struggling heavily in the URC. And then after that game, it's South Africa versus Ireland. It's a game I'm quite scared for. It's going to be very, very intense at the Aviva. And I don't know if we can beat Ireland without Lukanya Am, to be honest. That's going to be a massive game considering it's um, at the Aviva Stadium. Like, um, And seeing that the Irish players were refreshed, um, that could give South Africa a pretty decent run for their money. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Ireland win by maybe four points or so. Um, they'll have Robbie Henshaw there. They'll have Sexton there. They'll have Gibson Park there. They're going to throw out a first-choice team. So that's going to be a massive game for Ireland. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a massive one. I'm quite worried about that. The Irish team has been very, very good this year. And they're in our pool for the World Cup. So we definitely need to make sure we do well there. Ending off the first weekend is going to be France versus Australia. I think France are going to pump the Wallabies there. I don't know what your thoughts are. France will win by at least 30 points. Wallabies have no chance. The Wallabies have no chance. And then England, Argentina. I'd love to see the Argentines get a win there, but I think England's probably going to take it at Twickenham. To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised to see England throw out a few mixed players, though, like in the B and C team off the bench. I would be be lucky to see that. They do kind of have to safe players for the All Blacks match if you know what I mean yeah that's true and then the second weekend 12 November the big tests in that one will be Australia playing Italy I think the Aussies might get a win in that one that'd be good for them Wales Argentina and then South Africa France that's a hell of a fixture coming up both of those last two are going to be really close and I think that I'm going to have to end up watching both of them even though there's a time zone difference and stuff. That's going to be massive, those two fixtures. Huge. And I mean, depending on what happens in your pool with France, we'll be playing either you or France in the quarterfinals. So two huge games from a South African psychological perspective as well. And then you guys will be heading over to Scotland playing at Murrayfield. What are you expecting out of that one? The upset's possible. Um... Roger Tuivasa-Shek getting a start at 12 there would be quite good, as we said earlier in our podcast. Um, he's not there for tackle bags. Would also be nice to um, see Damian McKenzie and Stephen Pettifetta get a go since DMAC's going to have regained his eligibility. Would possibly be good to get the uh, older props back up to speed as well, potentially. And Scotland, if that is indeed the case, they're going to make the most of it. Yeah, I think the Scots are going to struggle a lot against you guys. I think you're going to put quite a... Quite a hefty score on them. So expecting... that might be quite close because I think we'll it'll be a close one. Yeah, I think so. We'll have to keep an eye on that fixture. And then Absolutely. the follow up weekend, your guys' big one. You guys are playing England. First game of we're the weekend screwed. as well. We're screwed. I'm just going gonna... we're screwed. Are you going to lose to England? Yep, Eddie Jones is a genius. Um, I've got nothing bad to say about his ability as a coach. 
Owen Farrell will be back in fit. Courtney Laws has been magnificent as the captain. Um, hopefully Sam Underhill and Alex Dombrands are back as well because Dombrand is ridiculously good. <laughs> He's uh, definitely got far more to his game than Billy Vernapola. I've got nothing bad to say about that squad. And I think that even though France are the favourites for the World Cup, um, if anyone's going to upset them, it's probably going to be England. Yeah, I think the England side, you know, Manitou Alagi back as well is a, is a big thing for them if he can stay injury-free. But I don't that's going to be... be totally honest. Like, we're coming back to the crash ball running thing. I keep yeah. sounding like a <laughs> See, you can, but... can, can you tell I'm <laughs> South African? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> with two of Lange, like the English players that and, and the coaches, they seem to have developed a tactic that um that that goes part that has evolved from Tuolangi. And so I'm like, are we gonna see it or not? You know, like yeah. they, they haven't been picking Ollie Lawrence as of late. So they're obviously trying to do what New Zealand's doing with a passing and kicking center combo instead with a pacey guy at 13. Yeah. Marching, for example. And then South Africa playing Italy. I think the Italians are going to have their hands full on that one. We're probably going to unleash quite a couple of players that have been playing in the midweek games. I would love to see a loose trio there of the likes of Ivan Roos, Ulrich Lowe, and maybe even a Dion Ferri. I'd be quite excited be for, for that. It would also be very good for um, Ferri to um, guide those new guys. Even though he's only played two or three tests at 35 or 36, years old i can't remember which one it'll be really good to have him there as a mentor for the younger guys yeah i think putting Branas on the field would be a, a very very good idea it's a player i'm i love seeing the older guys get their shot when it comes like that and i'd love to see him get some more game time scotland argentina promises to be a good game oh that's going to be an intense one uh, with a very close score line as well eh? gonna be yeah. a big game and then ireland australia i think ireland's going to put australia to the sword there absolutely Australia completely out of the deep, mate. Couldn't agree yeah. more. And then, you know, the last weekend of fixtures officially outside the test window, like we said, South Africa playing England. It's sort of a, a 2019 World Cup. You guys play them, then we play them. So I'm hoping we can get the win. They've gotten it over us the last two tests we played against them. So it's about time we, we, we sort them out again. Uh, yeah, true. And the, the England Rugby Union, they've done a brilliant job organising their fixtures because they've got the two teams they're playing in the pool stage and then they've got the two best teams from the Southern Hemisphere, as they perceive. Yeah, they they've set that up very well. And then Wales, Australia also promises to be an interesting one with both teams sort of sharing in the struggles. Mm-hmm. Two teams on the decline playing against each other. That's going to be a bit of a joy to watch, I think, isn't it? Yeah, that's definitely going to be an interesting you one You know to what, see. though? I would love to see Wales win just to see those Aussie tears again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be an interesting November, jam-packed November. There's so much rugby on. I'm going to be stuck on my couch with a lack of bit of biltong in front of me. Oh, that, sounds great to me. It wouldn't be um, too bad at all, would it? Yeah, that would not be bad at all. But yeah, Max, thank you very much for joining us on the pod. Really, really appreciate you being here. For the other guys listening, please go check out Max's page. He's been kind enough to join us on the show and he's got some really great content up there. So give him a follow. Same uh, same for you, Nick. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me onto the podcast and stuff. Eh? Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, but yeah, as you said, uh, make sure to visit me uh, over at The Black Juicy on YouTube and on Instagram. And uh, yeah, uh, cheers for listening to me, guys. And uh, cheers for the invitation, Nick. Thank you. Champion. Check you guys in a couple of weeks' time when Ronnie and I resume.